the very last part of it. It's an easy passage to find. The book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, second to the last chapter in the Bible, one of the most powerful in all the Bible. And today we will be starting in verse 15. You know, looking at the world these days, looking at Washington, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm glad there's more to life than just, you know, the dash between the year of your birth and the year of your death. I'm glad there's more to life than that. That even if America, you know, even if the America, uh, American dream becomes like a total nightmare, it's all just the blink of an eye. And all of it is preparing us for something far better. And the harder it gets, the better prepared we'll be. We've been lo- uh, looking uh, this summer at heaven, at the hope of heaven. And we've come to the new creation. Did you know that there's going to be a whole new creation someday? John says in verse 1 of Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We've seen that this is the, uh, really the crown jewel of the new creation. Uh, the centerpiece, the capital city of a whole creation is going to be New Jerusalem. This is the place that Christ said He's preparing for us. And uh, it's our home in heaven. Last week, we saw how this city is going to be historically rooted. That is, the celestial city in eternity is going to be the result of what certain people did down here in, his, in history, as in cause and effect. Thousands of years before, what they did, you and me included. Because if you're a follower of Christ, what you do down here goes on forever. Even in, you know, in, in the most menial of all careers, if that's where you are right now, even in the smallest and most unnoticed of our deeds, which gives incredible meaning to our lives, it goes on forever. What we do down here lays up treasures in heaven. We're giving him material we saw last time out of which he creates this city. And our work down here actually forms and shapes and colors what he's doing up there. As we do His work on earth, it is done in heaven, and through this His kingdom comes. So first, the city will be historically rooted. Second, this week, she will be physically real. Physically real. I mean, we're talking about solid. We're talking about titanic. We're talking transcendent with vast dimensions and only the best specifications as we're going to see now, starting in Revelation 21, verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also divine measurement. 
God makes it clear here in verse 17 that these are not just angelic, but they're human measurements. Did you catch that? This is one of the most amazing verses in all the Bible. These dimensions are according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements, which means they're going to be real measurements and not just mystical or symbolic or ethereal or cloudy. And it's because it's going to be a real city, not just a mystical state, you know, with weightless angels as we often imagine evident clouds and nothing to do but hang around and make sure we keep our noses clean. And not only that, it'll be not just very real, but real big. If you take 12,000 stadia, that's about... How many of you know how, many, how much is... Uh, what 12,000 stadia is? I had to look it up. So you're in good company. It's 1,500 miles. If you take 1,500 miles in width... By 1,500 miles in length, it's a square city, you get a total land area, a footprint, you might say, of 2.25 million square miles. But that's just the first floor. When you multiply that by 1,500 miles of height, and who knows how many floors, you get more living space in the New Jerusalem that presently exists on planet Earth. A lot more. This old world has a land area of roughly 57,280,000 square miles, which means that the New Jerusalem will have 60 times more living space than planet Earth. And that's assuming a mile between each floor. All told, it'll contain 3.37 billion cubic miles. It'll be as much a country as a city. It's going to be, it's going to be a whole world unto itself. It'll have enough room not only for all the saints who have ever lived, but for all the angels too, just like it says in Hebrews 12. We have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. And there will be more than enough space for broad rivers, it says in Isaiah 33, and streams and dedicated greenways and national parks and, you know, whole regions the size of countries for outdoor activities and pristine wilderness sanctuaries with mountains to climb and rivers to ford and lakes to fish and who knows what else. Now, i got to admit, I personally couldn't care less about having lakes to fish in. I hate fishing. <laughs> but, but it also says that there's going to be a book there. Right? The book of life. So clearly, there's going to be such things as books in heaven. So clearly, that's a place worth going to. If you're an indoor person. And if you're an outdoor person and an indoor person like me, it'll be heaven on earth. It'll be heaven. You could, you could say, Summit County, look at all this. Eat your heart out. This is just a sparkle a point compared to that world. It'll be the best of the city and the country combined. It'll have all the creature comforts, so don't worry. But it'll also have all the wilds of creation. It'll be all of that and a whole lot more. Now, if you were to take it all in from a distance, actually, you'd have to back away a fair way to take it all in. In fact, back several hundred miles. So say you did that, and you're looking at all at once. You'd see the cityscape unlike any other. The overall line would be up and down with all sorts of mind-boggling uh, architectural features, um, majestic ramparts stretching upwards, fantastic shape that, that defy the laws of Old Testament physics, mounting ever higher to a peak of 1,500 miles. 
And the wall of the city from several hundred miles out where you could see all that would be just barely visible at the distance, just this bright line along the ground if you could see it at all. But if you made you know, the long journey to the foot of the wall, you'd take in quite a different uh, a view. In verse 12, it's called a great and high wall, all of 72 yards in height. That's 21 stories. Three quarters of a football field. And at the base of the wall, you know, the wall would tower just silently above you. And if you look to your right and to your left, uh, it would stretch to either side of you as far as the eye could see to the vanishing points of both horizons. There's much more, but suffice it to say, it's going to be real big. It will have vast dimensions. But secondly, it will have only the best specifications. That's verse 18. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Now, every good wall has a foundation. It's called a footer, if you're into construction. And it's usually just like this strip of concrete along the ground. But the wall, the foundation for this wall is going to have 12 layers, like multiple stories, one on top of the other before you even get to the wall itself. And these layers will not be, you know, of rock or of masonry or of concrete or whatever. They're going to be great blocks of priceless jewels, one after the other, kind of like, like sentries at their posts, permanently stationed. They'll be uh, perfectly positioned in this endless succession to both horizons. And each level will be a different color. A different, made of a different jewel. So if you step back, you'd see really, you'd see this rainbow. You see this whole spectrum of of colors rising several stories above your head. And on top of all that, the wall begins, which itself is made of jasper, as we read, which is a semi-transparent gem, like a diamond. And so the wall is going to reflect the light, the light coming from the inside. And what a light it'll be, because the glory of God, it says, will illumine the city. It'll be a luminous wall, this long, lustrous uh, band on a multicolored foundation uh, all around her, on all four sides, like, like a wedding band. That's the image. A band with pearls. Twelve pearls. A pearl at each of the twelve gates. And each pearl is going to be about 72 yards in diameter. It'll have, each one will have this like, you know, this planetary uh, presence. It'll sweep round and wide and it's going to crest upward to the skies, standing silently by this cylinder of a gate that it was made for. And of course the question is, uh, how will you get by the century, by the pearl, by whose permission, with what passport do you get in? By what right will we claim to be citizens of heaven when we're standing there at the gates? Reminds me of an email I got from one of our members. He's here today, Roger Brooks. Roger, thank you so much for this great illustration. A couple of weeks ago, he probably sent it to many of you. It goes like this. 
says, I was testing the children in my Sunday school class to see if they understood the concept of getting to heaven. I asked them, if I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and give all my money to the church, would that get me into heaven? No, the children answered. If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me to heaven? Again, the answer was no. But now I was uh, starting to smile. Hey, this was fun. Well then, if I was kind to animals and gave, gave candy to all the children and loved my wife, would that get me to heaven? Again, they all answered, no, no. I was just bursting with pride for them, for all that I had taught them about heaven. And I, well, I continued, then how can I get to heaven? Five-year-old boy shouted, you got to be dead. <laughs> Duh, yeah. you got to be dead. Well, you know, I thought about that ever since I got it from Roger, and... <laughs> Out of the mouths of infants and babes, there's some truth there. It's kind of like the old blues song. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but what? Any of you remember it? Yeah, nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Christ himself has said as much. He said, you got to die to get there. you got to die before you really die at the end of your life. you got to die to yourself. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate he means by comparison to his love for me and his desire to worship me alone does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life, whoever dies, for my sake, will find it. He means you've got to let go of what's life to you, to what's God to you, if he's going to be your God and if you're going to live with him. You must forsake whatever is more important than God in your life. And all of us have these things. They cycle in and out. It's a lifelong process. Turn from your gold and silver, he says, from your, your bank account, from the house that means you know, so much to you, from everything that means more to you than him. You symbolically turn from it, forsake it, and turn to him. That's dying. That's called repentance. Turn from everything that means more to you than, than him. Being a Christian is a lifelong process of learning to kiss our joys and not grasp them, to grasp Him alone, holding everything with open hands, enjoying them but not worshiping them. But becoming a Christian is a momentary decision that's much like that, where you say, Lord, I turn from all these things that meant so much to you that I was living for to you. I want to live for you and not for them. I want you to be most important in my life. Forgive me for playing God with my own life. Forgive me for making gods out of my money, my family, my career, my cars, my... You fill in the blank. Thank you for the most precious thing in the universe that makes my gold and silver like filthy rags. Your shed blood that paid the penalty of my sin so I can go to heaven, so I could be with you forever. So in the end, I could turn from everything here below and enter the city by the gates. You're going to lose it all anyway, right? Can't take anything with you. So why not let it go now? Someone said, he is no fool to give 
what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So, what's the gain? What do you get in return? Well, there's a lot in this world that you get in return, but there's infinitely more in the world to come. And it happens that that's just what we're talking about this summer. In fact, this, uh, so, you know, let's party on. There's so much more. New Jerusalem will have not only the best specifications, the, a calling for features that are unheard of, unattainable, unimaginable here on earth. Well, you know, we know what God can do with the whole creation, but, but we have yet to see a city whose architect and builder is God. Can you imagine? You know, whenever we build anything, there's always this trade-off. And I find it very frustrating when I do my home improvement projects. I told you about one disaster last week, and I will not go into it again. But there's always some trade-off between, you know, quality and utility and, and cost. Even when price is no object, we don't have the technology to, to keep a structure from aging over time. But New Jerusalem is going to be built to last, to last forever in mint condition. From the first layer of the foundation to the highest pinnacle, 1,500 miles above truly, as we say, it's going to be an eternal city. It will satisfy our deepest longings to overflowing. Did you know that God has put in all of us the desire for the eternal? A desire that's never satisfied here below, though heaven knows we try to satisfy it here below. Maybe you have enough money to get the best of everything. But more and more, you know, it's never good enough, is it? Something better always comes out. And, and the more stuff you have, the less it means. Maybe you're always frustrated because you don't have all that much money and you have to cut corners and buy things used and you always have to rent and you can never own. Though, of course, now you're thinking you're lucky stars that you're not upside down, you know, in a home that owns you. Maybe you are upside down and your dream home has become a nightmare. God has His ways of weaning us from this life to prepare us for the afterlife. For each of us, it's different, you know, what we long for. What He weans us from to prepare us for heaven. How He woos us to heaven. I've, I've always loved watching construction. It, you know, it gives me untold pleasure to see a master craftsman at work, you know, on some well-made home or whatever. And it's a downer for me to see shoddy construction. Doesn't it ruin your day when you see shoddy construction? I mean, be honest. Doesn't it? There ought to be a law. You know, or to see a curb, like they're pouring some curbs in Dillon, they look so nice in the summer, and then they'll be wrecked by the end of the winter. I'll go into a building and I immediately notice all its imperfections and I can't help but do it. And they remind me that nothing lasts forever in this world. You see some new expensive public building going up in a few weeks after everyone moves in. It's already started to grow old and there are dents and scratches on the walls and it's all downhill from there. I mean, this is a total downer for me. It's just, it's just the cross I have to bear in life. It is. Nothing lasts forever. But, but if a building were made by God, it would be quite a different story. It would stay new. Just like he said at the beginning of our chapter, Behold, I am making all things new. That's in the continuing sense. They never get old. They're always new and renewed. I'd love to see just one foundation stone from the city, each one perfectly hewn, never scratching, never chipping, never uh, cracking. Can, can you imagine spending all eternity examining the materials? And all that workmanship, you're thinking, wait a minute, are we talking about hell or heaven here? 
Watching construction, gag me with a spoon. Okay, okay. But, but you have eternity in your heart too. And there's something, there are many things that you'll enjoy forever there too. So think of what it might be for you as I share, prime the pump maybe, a little more of what it means to me. I think of my childhood home. It's a place called Glen Airy in Colorado Springs. It's the international headquarters of the Navigators, and it's a Christian conference center. And my dad died when I was six while we were missionaries with the Navs in Hong Kong, and so they put us up there, my mother and my sister and me, for about seven years or so. It's a great escape, estate, a great escape with all these rolling lawns, just like in Britain, and winding roads and old trees and beautiful rock formations and a canyon at the end of it leading uh, nine miles up to a beautiful lake and big horn mountain sheep come down during the winter to graze on the grass. The centerpiece of it is, uh, of the Glen, is the castle where we lived. And I just happen to have a, a picture of it with me here today. And so some of you can't see it, but you're welcome to come down and gaze at it as long as you want once the service is over. I, thank goodness I did not bring a slideshow, so you're, you should be proud of me. Just one picture. I keep it in my office. A picture of the castle rising up in the midst like a fairy tale. It has 67 rooms and 27 bathrooms. We're going someplace with this, so stay with me. William Jackson Palmer built it in the 1860s. It was built according to the best specifications back then by these, all these master workmen, some of whom he shipped over from Europe. And they installed copper-nickel plumbing throughout the thing that's being used to this day. There's a built-in vacuum cleaning system, 1860. A fireplace in every bedroom, beautiful inlaid uh, walls. On the outside, it's built of mossy stone. And uh, each stone was cut to size from behind so there's no tool marks uh, on the front. And they all fit together perfectly like this, this, this puzzle, this, this castle-shaped puzzle with roof tiles that were imported from England. And being there is kind of like stepping out of the world, of this chaotic world, into a timeless uh, sanctuary. Out of a, uh, a decaying world into a place that never seems to get old kind of spoils you for anything else, to be honest. Just a cross I have to bear in life. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but you know, all of us have crosses that we have to bear in life. Crosses in time that are preparing us for eternity. Because you've got to die to get to heaven. By turning from it all when you become a Christian, holding it all with open hands as a Christian, and by then by letting Him woo you through it all to Him. Letting Him wean you through it all by taking it away to Him once you're a Christian. More and more letting go of the visible as we've got to do as we grow older. To lay hold of the invisible. Ever notice how more and more you can never go home again? That's just one example. That's how He prepares us for our real home. Because, of course, home changes. And it's never really yours anymore when you go back. If it ever was. And maybe you never even had one. There's this kind of, there's this kind of bittersweet feeling that I have when I go back to the Glen. This deep yearning for something that nothing on the earth will ever satisfy. For something of which the castle is only a shadow. And so it is with our every yearning. Because you see, the best of the best here below, in the here and now, is only a shadow uh, of, of what's awaiting us in the hereafter. 
And the one can lead you to the other. Our rags can lead us to our riches, our losses to seize the gain, our crosses to our crown, our groaning to our glory. Your emptiness is one day going to be a fullness if you're a follower of Christ. Whether it be the loss of a father like me or a spouse or a child or the lack of a spouse, you know, if you're single, or the American dream turned into a nightmare. And your toil down here is storing up treasure up there through it all, no matter how hard it gets. Up there where your every desire will be fulfilled somewhere, everywhere, within those 3.37 billion cubic miles. Not to mention through a whole new creation. And so, whenever I go back to the Glen, I feel like, I feel like the old man who was very ill. I don't know if you've heard the story. The one who wrote a letter to Charles F. Fuller. Charles F. Fuller was the great evangelist of a, a number of years ago. Fuller had announced that he'd be speaking on heaven the following Sunday. And during the week, he received a letter. A letter that said this, Next Sunday, you are to talk about heaven. I am interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without money and without price. But the donor purchased it for me at the tremendous sacrifice of his blood. I am not holding it for speculation since the title is not transferable. It is, a, it is not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I've been sending materials out of which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me which will never need to be remodeled nor repaired, praise God, because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and it'll never grow old. Termites can never undermine its foundations, for they rest on the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. Nor locks nor bolts will ever be placed on its doors. For no vicious person can ever enter that land where my dwelling stands. There's a valley of deep shadow between me and the place where I live in California. And that to which I shall journey in a very short time. I cannot reach my home in the city of gold without passing through this dark valley of shadows. But I am not afraid. Because the best friend I ever had went through the same valley long, long ago and drove away all its gloom. He has stuck by me through thick and thin since we first became acquainted 55 years ago. And I hold his promise in printed form never to forsake me or leave me alone. He will be with me as I walk through the valley of the shadows and I shall not lose my way for he is with me. And then he concludes... I hope to hear your sermon on heaven next Sunday from my home in Los Angeles. But I have no assurance that I shall be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for the journey, no return coupon, and no permit for luggage. Yes, I am all ready to go. And I may not be here while you are talking next Sunday morning, but I shall meet you there someday. You know what he was saying? He was saying, it's like the song goes, he was saying, when I die, don't cry for me. When I die, don't cry for me. In my Father's arms I'll be. 
The wounds this world left on my soul will all be healed and I'll be whole. Gold and silver blind the eye, so turn from him to him. Gold and silver blind the eye. Temporary riches lie. They're not forever. So turn from those rags to real riches. Come and eat from heaven's store. Come and drink and thirst no more. Which is just what we've been doing today. Indeed, this entire summer.
Well, why don't we all stand? In light of all that, no matter what goes on around you, you can go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share this gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And amen. Thanks for coming.